Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. If you follow the stock market at all, you've probably at some point slapped your forehead and thought, man, I wish I had seen that coming. For example, it would have been awfully nice to know that the 2008 crash was on its way, or to know that money invested in the market in early 2009, which is when it bottomed out, would nearly quadruple by 2018. But nobody knows how markets are going to swing, right? Well, once, quite a long time ago, a couple of lucky guys knew exactly how markets were going to swing. Their names were Francois and Joseph Blanc. They were brothers, and they had a pretty good thing going, knowing the future before anybody else. What they did, and they were pioneers here, amounted to the very first telecommunications hack. It was in France, 1834. So this is a period where a horse... Uh, on an open road is the fastest you're going to be able to move anything. And how fast can a horse go? You know, maybe sort of 20, 30 miles an hour for a stretch. Tom Standage is the deputy editor of The Economist, where he has written about this very first hack. He says the Blanc brothers were successful hackers because they figured out a wily way to exploit something totally cutting edge, a new technology, a technology that was revolutionizing France, the telegraph. It meant that messages that had previously taken days to travel from Paris to remote parts of France could be delivered the same day. They could be delivered in you know, less than an hour, in a few minutes in some cases, and that really was a big deal. Standage is the author, most recently, of Writing on the Wall, Social Media, the First 2,000 Years. And he notes that the Blanc brothers weren't the first to try to know what happened in the market before everybody else, but they just might have been the smartest. So there were people using things like messengers and fast coaches and carrier pigeons to try and get that market information more quickly. What the Blanc brothers figured out, though, was that you didn't need to do any of that. And that if you exploited this system that already existed, that was the fastest telecommunication system on Earth at the time, then you could uh, you could use that instead rather than having to faff around with carrier pigeons. When you hear the word telegraph, you probably think, like I do, about Samuel Morse and messages sent by telegraph operators in a series of little beeps. That's an electrical telegraph. This was a mechanical telegraph, which came first. And it put France, at that time, in a league of its own. The French thought this was so cool that they built a national network. And Napoleon, when he took over, was very keen on this. He extended it into the bits of Spain and Italy that he'd uh, snaffled on behalf of France. And so they had this nationwide network. It was reserved for government and primarily military use, but it allowed messages to be sent within France faster than anywhere else. So how did it work? Well, imagine a series of towers built throughout France. They looked a little bit like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, except they weren't leaning. And it wasn't really the towers themselves that mattered. It was what was on top of them, which was a long piece of wood with two shorter pieces dangling on the edges. If you think about the long arm, if you kind of hold your hands up like you're, you know, someone's pointing a gun at you and you're saying, don't shoot. And then imagine you can kind of move your arms and move your arms at the elbow. Um, It turns out there's uh, something like 92 different positions you can make the arms do. And uh, if you've then got somebody with a telescope 10 miles away at the top of another tower, they can see the position that you've set the arms in. And if they've got arms on the top of their tower, they can match their arms to the configuration of your arms. And then someone 10 miles further along from them can see the same thing again. And so this was the first system, practical system, that allowed you to send messages really quickly over long distances. So all of a sudden, these codes made with pieces of wood got messages across France, not at the rate of 30-ish miles an hour, which is how fast horses might go, but at the rate of hundreds of miles an hour. 
communication suddenly had become nearly instantaneous, and the crafty Francois and Joseph Blanc were on top of it, which, according to Tom Standage, tells us something crucially important about the nature of hacks. Network attacks are as old as networks themselves. This is the first network in history, and it has an attack on it. Um, So it's a reminder that with any new invention, people will always find a way to make a malicious use of it. This is an aspect of human nature. It's not to do with technology. It's to do with the way people are. And I don't think that's something that technology can or should be expected to fix. The greed of the Blanc brothers, mirrored in so many hacks today, resulted in them brilliantly embedding the telegraph with, well, a little bit of code. And they were traders, and they were trading in Bordeaux uh, in the west of France, a wine region, as what we mainly think of Bordeaux as now. It took about five days for news to get from Paris to Bordeaux. And one of the things that was traded on the exchange in Bordeaux was uh, French government bonds. And the price of French government bonds went up and down every day. And it would take a while for that news to reach Bordeaux because the price was set in Paris. So you had this strange situation where the market in Bordeaux is sort of lagging behind the Paris market. And if you could somehow get the information about which direction the market was moving in to Bordeaux more quickly than anyone else had it, then you would have a big advantage because you'd be able to make sure bets on the direction of the market's movement. So the brothers just needed to send a telegraph message to Bordeaux saying what had happened in the Paris bond market. Except regular citizens like them were not allowed to use this fancy telegraph system. So they bribed a couple of folks who worked in the system to insert, at a particular time of day, a certain symbol, followed by a backspace, basically meaning ignore that symbol. To anyone not in on the scheme, it would seem like a harmless error that was being corrected. But that error told the Blanc brothers whether the Paris bond market had gone up or down. And the scheme would have kept going for a long time, except, as always, human nature and human frailties surfaced. The scam was only uncovered two years later. And the reason it was uncovered was that the operator at the tour end, so the nearer to Paris in the city of Tours, um, fell ill. And in order to keep the scheme going, he revealed all to one of his friends and said, you know, will you take over and sort of cover for me while I'm ill? And uh, I'll cut you in on whatever he was getting. And um, his friend thought this was, uh, you know, not acceptable and, and revealed all to the authorities, at which point the the Blanc brothers were, were hauled up in court. And... Um, But then there was a bit of a problem because there wasn't actually a law that said that abusing a government um, data network uh, was was not allowed because there weren't any laws about government data networks because no one had thought to make any of them. So the Block Brothers were were actually acquitted in 1837. And at that point, they went off and, um, and started their sort of business empires doing other things. So you say from this story of essentially the first hack of a big telecommunication system like this, we've got sort of two lessons to be learned. Let's talk about the first one, which is avoid complacency. You want to talk about that? Um, So there is this sort of tendency to think that if you haven't noticed anything bad, then there can't be anything bad going on. But in fact, most, if not, well, many, if not most cyber attacks are never detected at all. And it's only when they do things that are really visible, like ransomware attacks or sort of vandalizing websites that that people wake up to it. But that gives you a very inaccurate impression of what's going on, which is that there's an awful lot of things going on inside your network, uh, you know, that you probably don't know about. And you say the second... uh important lesson here. Uh, This is my favorite one, which is that uh, security is like a chain and humans are always the weakest link. 
yes, and again, this is something that I think we this is a lesson that we could we could remember today. Um, that idea of security is like a chain with humans as the weakest link uh, comes from Bruce Schneier, who is a, a great um, cryptographer and security guru. And uh, his point, what he's saying there is that, you know, there is this sort of fetishization of the idea that if you have clever enough technology, you can build a perfectly secure system. But the fact is that however secure you make the system, you still have humans feeding information in at one end and taking it out at the other end. And so if you can subvert those people, then it really doesn't matter how clever the system in the middle is. Do you think we have learned, at least to your mind, things that are really important about how you address those kinds of human weaknesses? Um, so one of the ways that the French telegraph network was supposedly secured was that only some people had the code books. And if you didn't have a code book, then, you know, nothing bad could happen. But in fact, you had people like the accomplice at Bordeaux who knew what some of the codes were and no longer worked for the company. And you get the same thing today where, for example, makers of voting machines um, in America say, well, we can't show you the code inside the voting machines because if we did, then bad guys would know how to break into it. In fact, the opposite is true. Um, the code inside voting machines is notoriously insecure. We know this because it's been leaked and people then find holes in it. And the way you prove that something is secure is actually to reveal the source code underneath it and let people try and find holes in it. If somebody's listening and they're trying to think, well, you know, what are the parallels here to today? And then they tend to discount the French system because it's made of wood. It seems nothing like our current laptops and, and this incredibly, you know, we were talking about it, all this incredibly sophisticated uh, secrecy, you know, sort of layers of security that we have on top of our networks. What would you say to say, I don't know, I there maybe there's more connection here than you might think despite the wood versus these fancy shiny metal things we all carry around. No, I think that's right, because if you look at the French system, I mean, it looks primitive to us today, but it was the most advanced communication system ever built at the time. It was absolutely, you know, state of the art. And I'm sure that the systems we have today are going to look similarly old fashioned uh, in, you know, in the future. So I think sort of saying to ourselves, well, this is terribly complicated and uses lots of technology, therefore it must be secure. Um, you know, history tells us that what looks impressive and complicated today may not look so impressive in the future. Um, so I think that's uh, that's something we should be aware of, that, you know, yeah. things move on, things get more sophisticated. And, uh, you know, we look at the Enigma machine, you know, that the Germans used in World War II, and it was cracked. And that was one of the things that, you know, started the computer revolution, the building of the machines that cracked it. That was a very sophisticated machine. But, you know, anyone could go on the internet today and, and read about, you know, the flaws that it turned out were built into Enigma that allowed it to be broken. And as a, you know, a high school student can look at it and say, oh, okay, I can see how... To, and that was like, you know, a matter of national security and international geopolitics not that long ago. So I think that's what we should remember. Tom Standage is deputy editor of The Economist. He's the author most recently of Writing on the Wall, Social Media, The First 2,000 Years. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you. We'll have the original article that Tom Standage wrote about the Blanc Brothers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash innovationhubradio. 